We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. And we are sponsored by Cooper's Brewing. You can visit the brewery in Santa Rosa. It's a great place. The beer is good. The vibes are great. Always have a good food truck out there. Really good way to spend a day or an evening. Whatever you want to do, go visit the brewery. If you can't do that, you can order Cooperage right to your front door. If you live in California and you're over the age of 21, grab a case. They'll deliver it to you next day. You'll get cold beer on your front doorstep. It's the very best way to acquire beer. We're going to do the... 49ers postseason postseason awards. But first, with um, we're recording this Tuesday evening. So the DeMar Hamlin uh situation is still ongoing. And Chris just kind of wanted to talk about this off top because it's impossible to talk about football right now without DeMar Hamlin's health being uh, prominent in in the the front of our minds. Uh, the latest update from Cameron Wolf of NFL Network spoke with Dorian Glenn, who is Demar Hamlin's uncle. He said that Demar is on a ventilator, but he's improved to fifty percent oxygen needed after being at a hundred percent. He's still sedated, but the main focus is recovering to breathe on his own and healing his lungs. So that's kind of where that's at, and it. It, um, man, it was a reminder of how dangerous football is. And I, I understand that it wasn't like a helmet to helmet injury or, or something like that. Like this could happen in baseball or basketball or whatever, but it's just so rare that, um, that I don't know. It, it was, uh, it sh- it shook me, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I wasn't watching the game as it happened, but um, I checked my phone, uh, and you know, just seeing you know, check like text messages and uh, tweets and everything. I, I immediately thought, you know, maybe it was a a helmet to helmet collision, like you said, um, but it wasn't. But it, you know, like it just feels like the last few years with the pandemic and everything else, there are just so many 
reminders, whether it's national stories or anecdotal stories with family members and friends, like life is fragile, man. And, you know, I think before the pandemic, certainly when I was like in college and maybe my early 20s, like I didn't have such a great perspective on things like this because, you know, you at, at, a lot of us, I guess I'm just speaking for myself, but I know like when I was that age, you just kind of feel invincible, mm-hmm. right? You kind of feel like, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm good. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what I eat. Nothing bad can happen to me, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, there's the very sobering reality of the pandemic. There's all sorts of, um, you know, you just become more keenly aware to the realities of life. And and this is, you know, I think a lot of us look towards football as an escape and we weren't afforded that escapism. Right. And And I think it's just important perspective for all of us to have, like, no matter what walk of life, some, you know, something tragic can happen at, at any moment. And so, um, you know, all the thoughts to, um, you know, to, to Hamlin's family and his loved ones and his friends, um, the bills, it's, it's a super scary situation and, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully he comes out of this, but I, I just, that that's always, you know, the takeaway for me is just like, oh, for stuff like this is just about perspective and, and how, you know, we get so caught up in, you know, who's right about a football take and dunking on people mm-hmm. on the internet and all this stuff. And like, man, none of that shit really matters at all. <laughs> right. You know, like being right on Twitter or whatever doesn't, doesn't matter. Like there's, there's a whole lot more to life and a whole lot more important things um, like our health and our safety. And, um, you know, all of that stuff is just way more important than, than um, what we get caught up in so often. So um thinking about Demar Hamlin and obviously um Kyle you and I know there's somebody else dealing with with some heavy stuff and and uh our thoughts are, are also you know with them yep. someone we're very close to dealing with tragedy so um it's been a heavy few days um with with all this stuff going on and and I just hope that everybody tries to maintain perspective and uh and we'll continue with our <laughs> our podcast episode about the 49ers after this, trying to, trying to keep things a little bit light, but just wanted to, wanted to express our feelings on that and just, um, you know, try to maintain a little bit perspective of perspective on, on what's really important. So with all that said, uh, we are going to move into our 49ers portion of this podcast again with, uh, with Damar Hamlin and, and of course our, our close friend as well uh, at the very front of our minds, and we will uh, we will dive into the 49ers portion of the program right now. Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Okay, so at the mid-season point, at the mid, at the midway, at the midway point, 
at the mid-season? At the no, mid- it was during the bye. During the bye week, at the midway point of the season. Yeah, that's right. Week, week, week nine, just about the middle. We did a mid-season awards podcast. We called them the Candies, which is a great name for the awards, and we're going to bring them back for the post-season, not post-season edition, post-season, post-season edition. With one game left, we're going to be caught up in playoffs and all that jazz. So we wanted to get our awards out now for the regular season, and I'm pretty fired up about it. I feel like my list is really, really good. Yeah, I think so too. And and to be Strenuous honest, I, voting process. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what each word was. I think um, I just kind of wrote a bunch of awards down and was like, I think we did something like this. So uh, if you remember the candies, good on you, because um, <laughs> I remember doing them and a few of the awards we gave out, but not everyone specifically. So. My- my favorite thing that came out of the candidates was getting to tell Debo Samuel when he was on our podcast that he was the winner of one of them and his reaction could not have been more muted. It's <laughs> just like, sort of, okay. sort of how Debo is. That's how he rolls. That's he part was of excited. what makes him unique. No doubt. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get these underway. So just full disclosure, peeling back the curtain, we wrote all these down while we were prepping, we did not figure out what order we're going to do these in. And we have not discussed our picks with each other. So we'll hash that out on the pod. Which one do you want to do first? You want to do biggest surprise? Just kind of start off with a layup here. Yeah, sure. You go first. Okay. Um, It's, it's Brock Purdy. Uh, The fact, you know, I mean, lame. (laughs) <laughs> yeah sorry the the seventh round rookie quarterback who's playing better than jimmy garoppolo was and now has a real chance to be the 49ers starting quarterback in 2023 given the way he's played i think that's a pretty damn surprising development like the 49ers are on their third string quarterback and they might still end up being i mean they're there's a very good chance that they're going to end up being at least a two seed and there's a, still a chance they could be the one seed with brock purdy as their quarterback is it has to be the biggest surprise. It doesn't require a whole lot of analysis because we spent so much time talking about Brock, but like at this point he's, he's a minus 4,000 winner. Like, like if you're betting odds, it's minus 4,000 according to the offshore book that I pay attention to for the uh, biggest surprise of of the candies. I'm not taking those odds because I have a different answer. I figured there's other areas that we're going to talk about Brock Purdy, so I went a different direction here. Okay, fine. Some call them the killer bees. Some call them the killer bee minuses. Shout out to Matt Barrows. Some call them the law firm. I am giving my biggest surprise to the interior of the 49ers offensive line. Because you're a real football guy. I am a big time football guy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's Jake Brendel. It's Spencer Burford. It's Aaron Banks. It's Daniel Brunskill rotating in at right guard with Spencer Burford. And now probably going to have to start at left guard with Aaron Banks out at least a week with knee and ankle sprains per Kyle Shanahan. We talked before the year and I said, I think the offensive line is just going to be like fine. Like it's, I I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. They've been even better than I expected them to be. It's not been a huge problem really all season. There's been a couple of times where where you would have liked them to be better, but 
I think for the most part, that unit has been really, really good. And it was one that, I mean, going into camp, we looked at it and said, who's starting where here? Like they, they don't have, they don't have options. Banks right. have to start at left guard, I guess. Daniel Brunskill fell out of the center competition in the first week of the preseason. And so Jake Brendel just got it by default. And then a fourth round rookie who played tackle in college is now playing right. It was a mess, but they've figured it out and they're playing well. And that is a significant surprise to me. And Aaron Banks has been pretty good. Yes. Like Aaron Banks, like went from somebody last year that we had no idea if he was going to be a capable player, let alone like a starter. Right. Like we had no confidence that like is, you know, can they replace Lakin Tomlinson with Aaron Banks? And if not Banks and who? And no, it's it's Banks for sure. Um, And he's played at a pretty high level before getting hurt against the Raiders. So um, I don't hate that pick. I, I think the offensive line's gotten a lot better as the season went on. I think it was kind of a struggle in the early going, but um, it's sort of like incongruence with everything else with this team, just in terms of the way it's steadily gotten better as the mm-hmm. season's gone on. And, you know, we I always like to point out how much, how it just feels like the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan typically play their best ball in November and December. Um, and their records, obviously, the last few years would reflect that too. But I think the the area that's improved the most, just like tangibly, when you're watching games, it's like, yeah, the interior of the offensive line feels miles better now than it was early on in the season. So I think that's that's a credit to, you know, that's a credit to Chris Forrester. That's a credit to Kyle Shanahan in the front office to sort of have that foresight because like Brendel hadn't started at all. Burford certainly hadn't started at all. Aaron Banks hadn't started at all. He played like eight snaps snaps as a rookie. So like right. there were legitimate question marks and they took chances on all three of those guys. And I think for the most part, they're, they went three for three. Like, it, you yeah. know, that's that's pretty hard to do, right? Like how many times do we talk about like developmental players and I need to develop? And it's like up oh, three for three there. You know, it, it wasn't like a. Ambry Thomas, Diamador Lenore, Lenore, and Sam Womack thing where it's like only one of those guys has flashed. It's been like, no, all, all three of those guys are starting and they're playing at a reasonably high level. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right. Biggest disappointment? Biggest... Jinx. Yeah. I. So this was tough. I wrote down Debo Samuel. And after coming I... on our pod? Yes. Wow. I thought I thought he could have been better on the pod. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so here's why. Not that he's been bad because he hasn't. He he's objectively awesome when he's on the field. But one, uh, the injury sucked for sure. But when you look at what he did last season, with 1,700, almost 1,800 all-purpose yards and 14 total touchdowns, when he went down in in week was that 14 yeah when he went down in week 14 he had 840 scrimmage yards and five total touchdowns and it was always it always felt like he was going to fall short of what he did in 2021 like that was just such a a ridiculous season that expecting that again and setting that as the bar would have been would have been too high but it was just kind of a bummer that that he he's missed what four games now and the production just wasn't I mean wasn't even close to the same level as it was last year and I know there's varying 
reasons for that. But I was expecting some kind of encore performance where he was in the all pro conversation and he just didn't get there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, given the context of, you know, he's he's at a thousand scrimmage yards short of what he did last year. I, I guess that's certainly fair. Um, there's also a chance that he comes back and just like plays really well in the playoffs. Yes. that And like I said, it's not that he was bad. Right. It was just that compared to last year, it was like, oh, like it was he was good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, definitely not his career year. And it's sort of continuing a trend. It's like really good year off year because of injuries, really good year off year because of injuries. Like right. his first four seasons in the league, 800 yards as a rookie, 802 yards, 961 scrimmage yards, six touchdowns, seven games, uh, 391 yards in year two, one touchdown. Last year, 14 touchdowns, 1,770 scrimmage yards. This year, five touchdowns, 840 scrimmage yards. It's very much been like good year dealing with injuries, great year dealing with injuries. Like it's right. Yeah. It's, uh, and again, this that is not was, to say that, 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 not, that, go ahead. It's not to say you can't make an impact in the playoffs. No, absolutely not. And it's well. not to say it's not to, it's not an indictment on his, him as a player, but I do know that like, when it came to giving him the contract that he got, and I think he deserved it, and I think it was a good deal for the Niners, but one of the hesitations was like, well, you've done it for one season, right? Like at a super high level, you've done it for one season. And there were concerns, even going back to college, it was kind of a similar trend. It was like he had a really good year, and then he had a year dealing with hamstring and ankle injuries, right? So, yeah, um, yeah this might that just might be something you have to you have to deal with with, with Samuel. Um, because we haven't seen him string together two really good years yet. Yeah, we, we know he's capable, and again, he might just be a him. He was immensely valuable in the playoffs last year, so we can't discount what he could mean to the 49ers in the playoffs this year either. So, um, I'm with you on that. I think when when we did the candies uh, during the bye week, I think Javon Kinlaw was my biggest disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to keep hammering that point, but I think my biggest disappointment right now is probably between Danny Gray and Ambry Thomas. Um, mm. Okay. Ambry Thomas, you remember late last year, he was playing meaningful snaps. Like yeah. he had the game ceiling interception against the Rams in week 18 and was covering Odell Beckham Jr. and was starting games late in the year. Uh, when they were depleted at cornerback and gave, uh, gave everybody an idea that like, man, maybe Ambry Thomas is, is going to be the real deal. Well, Ambry Thomas went from being a guy who we all presumed would be the third cornerback to like the fifth cornerback, right? Like he got passed up by Diamador Lenore and he got passed up by Sam Womack. And now he's almost exclusively a special teams player. He got passed up by Jack rabbit Jenkins. Yeah. So, you know, I think from from the standpoint of, wow, this guy could be a really good potential starter being in our minds last year at the end of last year to now being like, is is Ambry Thomas going to be on the field on, on the team next season? Right. Like, are, are they going to draft another corner to, to potentially replace him? Um, you know, I think that's a real discussion. So I think he like, and given, you know, Emmanuel Mosley going down with the injury and him just not being an option, really. Um, I think that qualifies as pretty disappointing. And Danny Gray, I mean, he's got two touches on the season 
And given, you know, what what we thought we saw of him in, in the preseason, particularly in that first game, um, catching that long touchdown pass from Trey Lance, given the speed element, like he's kind of unique among the 49ers receivers. And, and I get it, like Ray Ray McLeod's been a pretty productive player for them. And maybe they offer similar, similar skill sets in terms of what they can do offensively. But I just thought Danny Gray represented an element the 49ers offense didn't have and could badly use as somebody who can just, you know, pull coverage deep and, and create space, whether that means, you know, making big deep plays or just being a decoy. Um, he hasn't really been able to do either so far. And as yeah. a third round pick, you know, I know he's a rookie and it can be hard to to contribute as a rookie on a contending team, particularly a team with this many weapons. But I would have thought, given his talent and his speed, he would have just done a little bit more than two relatively meaningless touches um, that he's gotten to this point. Yeah, I think those are both fair. And I think if you want, although for, I guess, different reasons, you could throw Ty Davis Price into that bucket as well. Sure. Third round rookie who who just really hasn't gotten a chance to make an impact. And Kyle Shanahan pointed to the high ankle sprain he had early in the year and and that being part of the reason that that his his first season got derailed but yeah Ambry Thomas I'd forgotten that he was a player that just we were penciling in as like oh yeah he's going to start a corner next year and yeah, then they signed to Traver- like be one of the top 3 guys right and then they signed Traverius Ward and it was like oh they're going to move Ward or no Mosley into the slot in nickel situations and Thomas will come in and play outside mm-hmm. and now, now he just just doesn't get on the field defensively at all yeah. yeah no that was a yeah that's that was that's what i had forgotten about that's a good pick and again not to say his career's over he might bounce back next year but this year definitely fell short of expectations uh, i have a couple of one-off here that i did not run by you beforehand and i'm just gonna have you react on the fly okay and then we'll get back to the real ones uh best trade <laughs> Uh man, getting that fifth for Jeff Wilson Jr. just home run. <laughs> Completely agree. Layout pick. All right, let's get back to the real ones. Yeah. Anyways, it's Christian jokes. McCaffrey. Yeah, jokes. Good one. Um, you want to do best play? Yeah, I got I got best play. So when we did the candies earlier, we had um or I had picked Christian McCaffrey's touchdown pass he threw against the Rams because it sort of exemplified the versatility that he brought to the offense. Obviously he's not going to be throwing passes often, but like the fact you get a guy who can do a little bit of everything. uh, And I think just his addition overall, like they're scoring a touchdown more per game. Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers really picked up. I think he's been instrumental in Brock Purdy's success, just having not only a good, a good running back, but a check down option, a good guy in the screen game. Um, that sort of that play just exemplified the versatility that McCaffrey's offered. Um, so in a similar vein, it's not about versatility, but for me, the play of the year, I just had to think about the second half of the season since we did those candies. And in these candies, I'm going with Brandon Ayuk's 32 yard touchdown at the end of the second quarter against Tampa Bay. Um, because you, you go back to the Miami game, like, okay, Brock Purdy played well, but it was like, is this sustainable, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is Brock Purdy, you know, they won a game with 
their backup quarterback. And the 49ers did the same thing in week two when Trey Lance went down. Jimmy Garoppolo came in, played pretty well. And then the next week, the offense was just completely out of sorts in Denver. Right. And we're like, man, mm-hmm. like, is is Brock Purdy going to be going to come screaming back to earth when, you know, he plays a real defense that's preparing for him over, you know, a full week of practice and all that stuff. And to me, that play to Brandon Ayuk, where the Bucks, in watching them defend it, they were just stunned that Kyle Shanahan trusted Brock Purdy enough to take a deep shot. Yeah, uh, because you know we we talked about the way Kyle Shanahan trusts Brock Purdy in in the last episode we did after Sunday's Raiders game. Like Kyle Shanahan had trust in Brock Purdy at a very early stage. And I think the end of half scenarios are really where you see how much Kyle Shanahan trusts any quarterback that he has, whether that's Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo or Brock Purdy. He's taken in in terms of like volume or I guess rate, he's taken much more aggressive play calling approaches with Brock Purdy than any of his other quarterbacks. And it's not even close. And for Shanahan to dial up a play, a deep shot for Brock Purdy at the end of the second quarter of the Bucks game and again the 49ers romped and Brandon Ayuk's route that he ran was also great um but Purdy like standing in getting hit by like a 320 pound defensive tackle as he threw it it was just like oh maybe this is a little bit more than like a third string quarterback who's just kind of forced into action like maybe this guy can play winning football for this team um right. and so for me that's what I think of like when, when I think of the the first time I really, I, I really like raised my eyebrows, like, Oh, Brock Purdy might like really be legit was, was when he made that throw. And of course the 49ers finished off that game in a blowout. And it was just kind of like, you know, it's, it was pretty, pretty much smooth sailing from, from there on out over the next few weeks, of course, until they hit a little bit of adversity Sunday against the Raiders. So my pick is a different play, but for a lot of the you just listed, which I think is kind of interesting. So mine was, and I have a few reasons for this, but mine was Brock Purdy's first touchdown pass against Seattle in week 15, where they did the Ray Ray McLeod motion and he faked the, throwing the flat to McLeod, then spun around, faked the screen to McCaffrey, and then hit George Kittle uh, up the seam, untouched for a 28-yard touchdown. That's my play of the year for basically all the things you just said about Shanahan trusting Purdy and and him looking more like more than just a third stringer who's going to be a passenger. That was like a... One, the design was super fun. Two, it was second and eight on Seattle's 28 early in the game on the road. Purdy's hurt. And it's like, man, he made that play. Like that's, that's really well done. It showed the gravity of Christian McCaffrey, who just by looking his direction, Purdy got three defenders away from Kittle. And then uh, he delivered the throw and it put the Niners up seven, nothing. And it just felt like, okay, they're going to run. Like Purdy can play like this in this environment, like that's nuts. And it was kind of the start of this resurgence that Kittle's had toward the end of the season. His five touchdowns in the last three games, he had two in that game, two in the next one. 
Um, so I just, I, I think that that was a culmination of, of all of the good things that we've seen from San Francisco here down the stretch. And it was just a super fun play that I watched like 50 times. Yeah. I thought about that one for sure. It's a good pick. Thanks. What's next? Uh, rookie of the year. I did not pick. Okay. You pick Brock Purdy. Yeah. I didn't pick Brock Purdy because I figured we'd already spend enough time on Brock Purdy. Um, he, he, he might win the NFL offensive rookie of the year. Yeah. Well, we've, you know, I haven't looked up the odds recently. I'm going to look up the odds. Okay. Uh, for content purposes, obviously the pick is Brock Purdy, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about Spencer Burford. Okay. Please. He's pretty good. Good little player. Like if Spencer Burford starts at guard for the 49ers over the next four or five years, like you're in a pretty good spot. I feel like, like, I don't know that he's an all pro or a pro bowler at any point, but like given what we've seen this year, his first time playing the position, obviously as a rookie fourth round pick, it just seems like, look, to get a starting guard in the fourth round, somebody who you're playing, who who you're paying relative you know, basically nothing relative to what a free agent guard could get on this on the open market and free agency. Like it's just a it's it's the type of move that like good organizations make. Like to be able to be like, all right, we're gonna identify this lineman in the fourth round of the draft and he's gonna start right away and play at a reasonable level right away. Like that's what good organizations do, and that's ultimately the key to building a good roster right, mm-hmm. is just hitting on draft picks. You don't always have to find stars. Like, obviously, George Kittle, fifth rounder, Fred Warner, third rounder. Um, You know, like, they, they've drafted Dre Greenlaw, fifth rounder, Talano Hufanga, fifth rounder. Like, they've drafted a lot of really good players. But to just find capable starters and just not whiff on guys. Like, the 49ers have done as good a job, I would say, as anybody in the NFL in terms of just drafting guys and having them be competent players. And obviously there are misses. No team is a hundred percent, right? Like if you're, if your hit rate in terms of drafting starters is around 40 or 50% as a front office, you're doing a great job. And I would say the 40 that's, that's been about where the 49ers have been. And obviously, you know, Trey Sermon didn't work out. Joe Williams didn't work out. Um, There are other players that they've drafted that haven't, that haven't worked out, but they've drafted enough guys who have been either capable starters and or plus starters that it's allowed them to have one of the best rosters in the league. Um, and frankly, it's a reason why they've been able to trade so many draft picks because they just don't have holes um, like other teams might. So Spencer Burford, just good player uh, and just kind of exemplifies what's been going right for them in terms of, you know, the way they've been drafting and, and developing some of these mid-round guys that they've taken. Yeah, I, I I obviously I picked the offensive line as the biggest surprise, so I don't have a ton of pushback on the Burford thing. Sure. But I kind of picked the offensive line because I felt like we were going to talk about Purdy in the offensive rookie of the year bit. Uh, but you did the opposite, which is strong. <laughs> <laughs> no, Purdy, uh, real quick. He is plus 500 to win uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. 
He's only behind Garrett Wilson, the Jets wide receiver, who's plus 150, and Kenneth Walker, the third Seahawks running back, is minus 110. He would have to really light it up against Arizona, I think. I mean, I th- so I feel like, like if the Niners finish the one seed, then I think Purdy's odds jump to the front. And same with Kyle Shanahan in terms of coach of the year. Yeah. Because Maybe, like Nick, Nick Sirianni's the favorite for coach of the year at this point, right? I would imagine so. Like Nick Sirianni, and the argument with Sirianni is like, well, the Eagles are the number one seed. If, right. if the Niners end up overtaking Philly for the number one seed. And who knows? Uh, it's the giant. The Giants might. The Giants might have zero interest in in trotting out a, their starters on Sunday. I yeah, I think they're gonna the the Eagles are fourteen point favorites. I saw that. I <laughs> uh, Nick Sirianni minus one seventy five. Kyle Shanahan plus three hundred. Shanahan the second best odds. Okay. Um, I like look. I get if you're the Giants, you want to keep guys healthy, but I just think. You want to be competitive and stick it to your division rival who's trying to be the one seed. Right. Like you're unless you've like accomplished a bunch of stuff and the Giants haven't accomplished shit, I'm kind of like, let's go ruin their season. And right. we'll roll into the playoffs like feeling like badasses instead of like being this team that's like, oh, we're gonna rest our starters. And I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of out on that mentality overall. Yeah, because it's not yeah. like like okay, if it's resting Saquon Barkley, I get it, you know. But like, who else on well, that roster are you like? Yeah, we we absolutely like this guy does not need any more reps. We absolutely cannot risk them in in week eighteen right. against Philly. Well, it's a Kyle Shanahan brought that up. He's like, if we're gonna rest guys, we still have to suit up forty six. Right. <laughs> you can only rest so many guys. Right. I am interested to see a little sidebar here. The Vikings kick off at 10, so the Niners will know about the two seed, but then they have the same kickoff as the Eagles. I do wonder if the Eagles are up like 28 nothing at halftime if the Niners just hit the brakes and probably pull everybody. Probably. That's how I think it would go. Yeah. Um, offensive player of the year. Did you have Christian McCaffrey? Sure did. Yeah, I think that pretty much speaks for itself. He's been with the team since week seven, and he's tied for the team leading touchdowns. Rushing and receiving. Somebody on Twitter pointed out that he's leads the league in or leads the team in touchdowns if you add in his passing TD. Oh, interesting. So that's just accounted, since he got here, right? Yes, he's accounted for more touchdowns and more first downs than anybody on the team, and he got to the 49ers in week seven. That's his, crazy. His full season stats, counting these six games he played with the Panthers. Uh, 1,801 total yards from scrimmage and 12 touchdowns. Pretty good. Not a Pro Bowler, though. No. Couldn't, couldn't get to the Pro Bowl. So, so well, that's only meant for the elite of the elite. Sure. Yeah. Um, a thousand ninety four rushing yards, eight touchdowns, eighty two catches, seven hundred and seven, seven oh seven, say it backwards. Uh receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. Yeah, that's a hell of a year. 
like quite the, you know, their question, obviously missed the last two years because of injuries, but like 1800 yards with the game left and 12 touchdowns. Yeah. Not too bad of a bounce back. Decent, decent player. And he's going to turn 27 in June 7. Hey, he's a Gemini. Shut up. So June 7th, say it backwards. <laughs> that's uh, 6 7. Not, not 7 07, but it's fine. I know. It's, uh, anyways, I would like to throw into the conversation here Brandon Ayuk. Who's just been steadily awesome all year? He's going to get to a thousand receiving, or should get to a thousand receiving yards. He's forty-four. He's nine hundred fifty-six with one one hundred-yard game. It was just really rare this year that he just had a total dud of a game. And in the last couple weeks, he's uh, nineteen targets, fourteen catches, one hundred and eighty-two yards, and a touchdown. He had that stretch of games uh, between week six and 10 where he had, he averaged 82 and a half yards a game and almost a touchdown a game. He's just been, he's open all the time. And in a huge moment on Sunday against the Raiders, it was just the Brandon Ayuk show. And in the fourth quarter, he goes for six catches and 81 yards. And if that's the player he's going to develop into here, then he's going to be a huge piece for them in the playoffs if that's just Brock Purdy's new go-to guy. If he has, and it's been, you know, McCaffrey and he's he's found Kittle, but if it's like, man, big spot, throw it to Brandon Ayuk, that's probably not that bad of an idea because it's just open all the time. I have a Brandon Ayuk take. You ready? Go on. Had he been a number one receiver on another team, his numbers would would be substantially better than they are with the Niners. Yeah, I think if you put him in Minnesota, he's doing Justin Jefferson stuff. Yeah, I I, I don't think he's quite at Justin Jefferson level, but I think we would be talking about him like, you know, maybe a notch below like A.J. Brown. Sure. But like in that like, you know, top 10 receiver discussion. Like I think Brandon Ayuk is that good. I do too. But I think because of the 49ers system, because they want to run the ball so much, because so much of what Kyle Shanahan does is like doing things to set up other things. And in many ways, that makes Brandon Ayuk a decoy a little bit. And the fact that they have Debo Samuel and have, had to feed him when he was healthy. Um, I just think if you put him in a more traditional system as a true number one receiver, he'd be a guy who you could pencil in for like 90 catches and 13, 1400 yards each year. And maybe he gets yeah. there next year. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, 27th in the league in targets. Right. Exactly. Zay Jones has six more targets than Brandon Ayuk does in one fewer game. Yeah. Yikes. Hey, man. If he was, if he was with the Steelers, like Kansas City. Deontay Johnson, Deontay Johnson, 137 targets, 84 catches, 844 yards, no touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, like what would Brandon Ayuk look like if he played for the Chiefs? Like uh, he might be an all-pro. Yeah, he'd be unbelievable. His ability to separate with Mahomes' ability to extend plays yeah. would be... Uh, 
Yeah, he's really good. He's really good. I'm fascinated to see what the next couple of years look like with him. Because like with Debo Samuel getting a bunch of money and with George Kittle getting a bunch of money, like you can only pay so many dudes. But at the, at the other side of that is maybe they decide that they're not going to pay George Kittle or Debo Samuel by the time Brandon Ayuk's up. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating because he's just turning into more, a more and more important piece of their offense. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey's the pick, though. He is. Transform their offense. The Niners are going to miss those day three picks. Um, Best play? Best game? I have one for you. Okay. We got to do defensive offensive player, player, too. Best offensive player with a B name. You've First got or last? Both. Brandon Ayuk, Brock Purdy, Brendel, Brunskill, Burford. Banks. Um, I did offensive player because Bose is just such an obvious pick. And it feels like Brandon Ayuk is also an obvious pick. But the joke here is they have a lot of players with B names. Sure. Killer Bs. You could make a George Brittle joke, but I'm not going to. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no, that was I was just trying to be snarky. Kittle's Kittle's been healthier this year than other ones. Nine touchdowns yeah. for George Kittle. It's a lot. Tied for the team lead. His previous career high was five? Last year. Yeah. He was six. 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 Yeah. He had five in eighteen and nineteen. Right. Um yeah, defensive player. I mean, it's Bosa, right? What are we doing? Defensive player of the year? Yeah. As well as T.Y. McGill's played recently, it's Bosa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you want to, I'm sure you could do a weird thing and talk about Fred Warner or Dre Greenlaw or whatever, but no, it's Bosa. He's good. What do you He's want? He's so good. This might be... Okay. I have a question. Is this the best single season from a 49ers player since like Jerry Rice? Best single season by a 49ers play. Maybe uh Terrell Owens. I guess. He had some really good years. Alden Smith's first two years are pretty unbelievable. Yeah, Alden Smith. What do you have 18 and a half sacks as a rookie? while playing like half the snaps. Yeah, Alden Smith's still going to have, unless Nick Bosa has two sacks in the finale, which he might. He definitely um, could. Alden Smith will still have the single season 49ers record of 19 and a half. He had 14 sacks his rookie year. I oversold him. Yeah, 19 and a half in year two. But but to your point, is 14 sacks, but 13 tackles for loss, 27 quarterback hits. The next year is 19 and a half sacks, 29 quarterback hits. Bosa's just in the backfield on every play and hitting the quarterback on like every play. Yeah. Alden got there. And I think Alden in that 2012 year had a, had a, did he have a five sack game? Was it against the The Steelers? Steelers? Yeah. Uh, Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. He had a, yeah. In a stretch of three games, two against Arizona, two against St. Louis, five and a half against Chicago. 
and nine and a half sacks in a three game span. <laughs> Outrageous. Yeah, that was that was a different level. That was like a heater. Right. That was just and yeah, and he was just such a different player. Like Yeah. Yeah, he, he was man, I just think you like historically we can look at this Bosa season as one of the best of 49ers defenders ever had. Like you could talk about Dion in 94, Dana Stubblefield that season when he won defensive player of the year. You could talk about Alden Smith maybe Justin Smith and Patrick Willis, but like in terms of just the overall value that Nick Bosa is providing the 49ers, I would put it up against any of those years. Well, yeah. And he's probably going to win defensive player of the year. That's not something a Niners done since with Dana Stubblefield in 97. Like it's just, I think it was 94. Maybe it was 94. Yeah. But when we were young, were you born? Were you born at that point? Yes. (laughs) I'm only like two years younger than you, man. <laughs> Three? What are you? How? I'm an '80s baby, bro. No, I know that, but I was '90. Right? I'm three years older than you. Oh, okay. Yikes. <laughs> See what you have to look forward to, dude. I, dude, seriously, I'm psyched though because now we can both do 40th birthdays where we go golf at a dope place. Sure. And those those will be only like three years apart. It'll be dope. <laughs> all right planning ahead do you want to do game or mvp now or do you want to do special teams player of the year that's one i concocted on my own okay so i thought you might do this and i was racking my brain going back and forth between Tabor pepper and mitch wishnowski wow the ray ray mcleod disrespect (laughs) Well, the George Odom disrespect too. Wow, great! Point. I mean, Odom yeah. leads leads the NFL in special teams tackles. Yeah, not not a Pro Bowler, another snub. But only one of the aforementioned players that we're talking about showed up on our podcast. Um, really, and uh, and that was our guy Tabor Pepper. So, yep, Tabs. He's he's getting the nod. Shout out to Tabor. He might actually be thrilled. Yeah, no, I know he he's, not gonna, he's not going to he's not going to fake it like Debo. <laughs> What about best Australian? Oh man, the decisions, the choices. Just such a robust class of candidates. <laughs> oh, Mitch Wish takes it home again, second year in a row. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, best game. So, Actually, hang on, hang on. Do you want to do team MVP first? Because I feel like best game, there's a real discussion to be had. Sure. I think it's Nick Bosa. Me too. Okay. Best game. Well, okay. Hold on. Let's talk about Bosa though. Oh, he, okay. He has the the game winning or game ceiling pass rush play against the Raiders where he mm. pushes Colton Miller back into Jarrett Stidham, throws a pick. Niners take it down, hit the game winning field goal in overtime. He had two two sacks against Washington. Um, and a sack that didn't count on a two-point conversion. Obviously, huge plays in those games. Forced he the had, fumble against Washington. Plus, Yeah, plus a fumble. He had the forced fumble against uh, Miami. Miami that Trey Greenlaw returned for a touchdown late in that game that basically sealed it. Um, the Chargers game, he just their last two drives was just hanging out in Justin Herbert's pocket. 
Right. Like he's been just clutch. Like he's been like their closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've talked about like how good Nick Bosa is, but just like, I think we're, we're, we'd be remiss if we're not talking about the clutch factor and like how he's made a lot of super decisive plays late in games. Another sneaky, like potentially great Nick Bosa play that ended up not being great because of the outcome. But the Niners scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs, and Bosa on the Chiefs' next first down got a sack and got him into, like, second and long in a spot where the Niners were still very much in the game. And then they hit the deep throw to, was it Marcus Valdez-Scantling on the second and long? But anyways, Bosa nearly kind of set the Chiefs back there, too. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that because I remembered it. I didn't, so good for you. Everybody, please take note of my recall of it. <laughs> um, Brilliant. Yeah, Bosa's, Bosa's very clear. Like, as many good players as the 49ers have, I don't think it's close in terms of team MVP. It's not. That's why I just wanted to get out of the way. Yeah. Like, they have a lot of awesome players, but Bosa's just... If you replace him with a replacement-level player... I just think they're significantly worse. And you can go back and watch the Atlanta game as proof. Right. Right. Anywho, best game. So this was kind of a tough one because best game is sort of a subjective phrase. Sure. Like best for the 49ers, best for drama. I think if you're going to make the, the case for drama, it would be the Raiders game. Because it went to overtime and it was back and forth and high scoring and all that. Um, But I think the best game for the 49ers uh, and hindsight doesn't reflect on it super well because of the way this team has sort of fallen, fallen back. But I'm going to say the Dolphins game Um, because Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt and you think, oh, well, the Niners season's over. Like Jimmy Garoppolo gets carted off when he comes back to the sideline with his foot injury and it's like, that's not great. Like now Brock Purdy's in and Brock Purdy's a third string quarterback. And, um, you know, we've seen Nick Mullins play before, you know, is this going to be another Nick Mullins situation? It's like, Nope, just kind of a lopsided win against at the time, a really good dolphins team. And I know we talked about like the Chargers game being sort of the game where it's like, okay, the 49ers like really feel like contenders now that they beat the Chargers. Chargers were missing like all of their good players in that game. Yeah. With the exception of Justin Herbert. Like Justin Herbert was their only star who was like available. Um, so that game f- feels a little bit less impressive in hindsight. But in terms of the game that I'll remember as being like super meaningful. It'll be that Dolphins game because that's when Brock Purdy first stepped in. It's when he first looked capable. And it was sort of the beginning of them um, becoming the new version of this contending 49ers team with Brock Purdy. And the Bucks game, I think you can make a similar case, but it was just, it wasn't all that dramatic. Like the Dolphins game was really dramatic because the Niners were just hit in the face with Jimmy Garoppolo's injury early on. Um, so they had to show a little bit more resolve. There wasn't much resolve in the Buccaneers game because they just they just pounded beat them, them down, yeah, pretty badly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, the Dolphins game as being being the best game because it was it really to me sort of signaled a turning point for them um, in a positive way with Brock Purdy at quarterback. So 
I went with, I mentioned this game earlier, but the Seattle game. Yeah. And that was the moment because you mentioned that Dolphins game. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's like, oh my God, this is the same guy that came in in garbage time against Kansas City. Like, that's wild. Right. And then the Bucks game, but that game in Seattle was where he checked all the boxes for me that allowed me to go to the place where I thought the Niners could still win the Super Bowl. Because I was kind of on the fringe. Like the Dolphins game was like, okay, well, he came in mid-game. Like, let's see when a team has tape on him. And it's Todd Bowles, good defensive coordinator, and just a just shit hustle them. And I was like, okay, but now he's got to go on the road hostile environment. He's hurt. It's a short week. This is where the wheels come off. And they didn't. He was really, really good and made some big plays late. Had the third and one uh scramble to the to the to the uh, not the pylon, but the first down marker. And really helped seal the game. So, and that was the game where it also became really clear how much Kyle Shanahan really did trust Brock Purdy. Like you mentioned, some throws in the in the Bucks game, but he had him throwing out of the end zone on first down, uh, on, on a on a first and ten from from the one. He had him bootlegging with the game on the line on a third and short. It was it was. Um, like I said, that was the game that I went like, oh, they can, they're still here. Like they can very much still do this thing. So, and honestly, like the Niners winning in Seattle is just always fun because that just was always just such a nightmare game where it just like chalked that up as an L before the season and probably a really bad one. It was just not super fun to watch. Yeah. So having an entertaining game in Seattle was a nice change. And they clinched a division. Nah, that too. Important. Yep. Yeah. I don't hate that pick at all. I don't. Great. It's a good pick. Yeah, I think I think any of the Purdy starts have a the I think the Raiders game objectively from just like in a, a neutral football observer standpoint was the best game. Like just yeah, the, from like a drama perspective. Yeah. Yeah. If you were just to be like, hey, you've never watched football, here's the game to watch to enjoy it. Like yeah. I think it would be that one. But in terms of like Niners fans' favorite games, I think Seattle and, and Miami would have to Yeah, probably. Maybe that that second Rams game when McCaffrey had the ridiculous day with the. I was gonna galaxy brand it and say the Chiefs game was the game of the year because that is what turned them around. Mm, nice. Haven't lost since. Right. Yeah, I like Check that. It. All right, last two of my silly ones. <laughs> okay. Best performance by a seventh round pick. Oh man. Word to Juwan Jennings. I was going to say, which there's got to be another seventh rounder on here. Boy. Although that we're doing deep dive research. It to, can't be Brock Purdy. Oh, Ray Ray McLeod was a sixth round pick. Damn it. Oh, dang. <laughs> Tyler. Where round did Robbie Gold go in? Tyler Croft was a third round pick. Dude, super athletic. Just an athlete. Uh, Robbie Gold undrafted. undrafted. Yeah, he's carried that chip on his shoulder throughout his career. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, (laughs) Oren Burks. No, he was an early. He was a third rounder. Yeah, he's third rounder. You like our guy? I've got Brock Purdy. Um. And Jawan Jennings are the only seventh round picks on the team. 
Jordan Willis was a oh yeah he was a third round yeah dude super talented player yeah I remember him out of K State I do remember that yeah it's only Juwan Jennings and Brock Brady okay a slew of undrafted guys though yeah Kevin Givens nope Is Odom a draft George Odom no, no he's undrafted he was, he was undrafted okay anyway I'll stop doing this for the bit yeah um <laughs> that went on way too long yeah Brock Purdy and Best single game performance. What's Brock Purdy's best statistical game? He had a 134 rating against Tampa, but he only completed 16 passes for 185 right. yards. Right. 284 yards against the Raiders is a season high or career high, obviously. 246 of them in the second half. Yeah. Say the second half of the Raiders game. Best performance by a seventh rounder. Great. I love Final that. answer. All right. This is the big one. Okay. Can't wait. Best Twitter performance by a beat writer. It's always Eric Branch. It's not even a question. Like, I, I almost didn't do this category because it's such a layup. Well, okay. So in terms of, like, funny... That's what I'm on Twitter for. Right. It's Eric. Like it's and it's not particularly close. Like Eric Branch is not behind a paywall. (laughs) Eric Branch is unquestionably one of the funniest humans I know. And um I think you kind of have to know what his personality is like to appreciate his humor on Twitter. Um, but I think he's I think he's unquestionably the funniest guy in the 49ers beat. Um, but I will say uh Nick Wagner, our favorite cast member, just like goes on heaters after every game with all these stats oh, and content and contextual tweets. <laughs> yeah, like Nick is like after games will just like have so many stats and be like, you know, like Brock Purdy was this, this, and this against the Blitz in this yeah. game, and he's been this, this, and this against zone coverage in the last few weeks. And uh, I mean, Nick's Nick's just firing away bangers at all times um, when it comes to the the Nuggets. This might offend somebody or some people, but what are you going to do? You know, it's not that big of a deal. Nick, I think, is objectively the best just tweeter overall. Okay, just in terms of volume, like there's decent volume, but not like, oh, my God, stop. He's super efficient. That's where I live. Right. Um, super efficient, always valuable. Little bit of humor here and there, a little bit of history here and there. Yeah, always good suggestions on reads. Like if Nick quote tweets something and says like "good read here," I'm like, "Well, it is. It is yeah. a good read." And he's he's he throws in the humor and like the pop culture yeah. references when when needed. Yeah, of course he, he does a good job. Yeah, those I've... are the two important ones. Yeah. I've decidedly just tweeted like way less than I used to. And it's been hard for me to find a rhythm, like to get back into it. No doubt. You know, it's not like just riding a bike. Like there are so many tweets that you're like, how do I not tweet the same thing that everybody else is tweeting? Yeah. You know, no doubt. So just a huge conundrum. Also, can we, Rook, just while we're on this, well, wards are over. I'm going to bitch about something. Okay, let's go. 
Can we stop? This is exclusive to Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, I'm sorry. But there's this thing people do <laughs> where a reporter, call him Adam Schefter, tweet <laughs> something and be like, per source, X, Y, and Z happened to Team X. And then someone who's not a reporter will just copy the tweet and like paste it and then say per at Adam Schefter, Schefter's tweet. Like retweet it. That's what the button's <laughs> there for. That's what, what, what are we? The, are you saying, are you saying people on you're not Twitter? not a reporter because you can copy and paste shit that other people are doing. Are you saying people on Twitter use information gathered elsewhere and present it as their own? Yes. Huh. And I'm an I'm an aggregator. That's my job <laughs> on my blog. I aggregate, but I don't I put it in a post with attribution and then give my thoughts on it. It's not like, hey, here's some news that I'm presenting as mine. Right. Or not presenting as mine, but like I'm not gaining clout from it. Right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we, I'm being hypocritical, but boy, is that annoying. No, I mean, there are a lot of cases where attribution just isn't enough in terms of tweets. Like if you're presenting the information that Adam Schefter said, and then you type it up in a different way, and then you put at, you know, via at Adam Schefter afterwards, like it is a form of plagiarism. Just by definition, I know you're attributing it to him, but it's like if unless you're presenting something new or like a nuanced take about it, like you're you're essentially just regurgitating information from that person, and you're, I mean, it's it's just a form of, of plagiarism. It is even if you do credit Adam yeah. Schefter, it's like I'm gonna write the Odyssey, put it all in quotes, and then just at the end write per Homer. <laughs> You'd be like, I've written a book. <laughs> Follow me for, <laughs> for your important literature. Coming up next, Mopey Dick. <laughs> I wrote yeah. it myself per... I should know who wrote Moby Dick. Wait for it. I wrote it myself per Herman Melville. Oh, I thought it was someone way more famous than Herman Melville. Me too. Okay. Um, that's where the literature literature discussion is going to end on this podcast. Okay. Great. <laughs> I All thought right. We could, I thought we could do some candlelit chronicles, but yes, not. <laughs> okay, we're getting out of here. We will I preview. Hope nobody listens to this point of the podcast. We will. We will preview Sunday's season regular season finale against the Arizona Cardinals uh, in our next episode, which should drop. Uh, Thursday, I guess, or Friday, one of those days. Friday, Friday. Okay. Record yeah. Thursday drops Friday. We'll also be discussing the themes of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Great. Um, subscribe, rate, and review. Shout out to Coobridge, our sponsor throughout the football season. It's been so enjoyable to work with Coobridge. Um, and we will talk to you guys later in the week. And for next week's pod, you're going to want to make sure you have the Spark Notes version of the Magna Carta. We're going to go to documents. Okay, bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.